Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, today we're going to wrap up a series of messages that we've called Messed Up. And uh, to be honest, this, this has had a, uh, an impact in ways that I, I just really didn't see coming in. And the things that I've heard about how these messages have kind of really made a difference in some people's lives. Um, we, we've looked at the Apostle Paul's experience in and writing letters to a church in a city called Corinth. And so we started in Acts chapter 18 when Paul was in Corinth, and we talked about how stress messed me up. And then we moved through these letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and we've looked at how conflict messed me up, how church, how death messed me up. And today is the last one, and, and maybe the, the most personal. If we had to title today's message, it would be, I messed me up. And if you can relate, say amen. <laughs> Right? This, there's an interesting thing. As I was studying like, the history of these books to be able to kind of communicate what the backstory was to this, I was reading one commentary, and this is what it said about these books of 1 and 2 Corinthians. The, the author wrote, according to 1 Corinthians, the fundamental problem in Corinth was the Corinthians themselves. Does that sound familiar? Because I'm sure if they were writing a commentary about my life, there would be a point where they would say, according to our research, the fundamental problem with Chad is Chad himself. Anybody else? Like, and he goes on to write in this commentary how the letter of 1 Corinthians addresses all these issues. And then when you get to the letter of 2 Corinthians, they're still addressing a lot of the same issues. This is a church that in so many ways was messed up. The history is that Paul started this church. And then when he went on to his next stop in Ephesus, that's where we'll be when we get to the first of the year, he wrote a letter back to them because he had heard that there was difficult things happening in the church. There was conflict, there were challenges. So he writes a letter, and then he makes a visit there. And when he goes, we get the feeling from what we read in, in the epistles and also just kind of church history that it was tense. It wasn't a happy visit. And there were people that were opposing Paul. And so then he writes another letter that we don't have. We don't have this letter. It's lost to history. But what we can deduce from reading uh, 2 Corinthians is that it wasn't a very nice letter. Like Paul had to write a pretty forceful letter to them. He had to be pretty straight. And in some ways, it hurt them, but it was also a letter that changed them. And there was like a change in their heart. And then as a result of that, he then writes 2 Corinthians, which has a little bit of a different tone, but still dealing with a lot of the same issues. Here's why. Because this church was messed up. They were their own worst problem, which kind of makes me look in the mirror and go, how about me? What if I messed up? What if I messed up by my relationships or by my money or by my thinking or, or my attitude or my challenges? Some of you may be thinking, look, I can't be real critical of Corinth because I'm pretty messed up myself. The question that I ask is, when, when Paul has this relationship with this church, and we get to the end of 2 Corinthians, and this is the last we know of his encounter, his interaction with them. When we get to this point, how does he respond to them? Because there's this certain part of me that would be prone to go, forget it. <laughs> like, I'm done with you. I've written at least three letters. I've made these visits. We've had all this tension, all this drama. At some point, I'm just prone to kind of go, I resign. I'm done. I, I don't want any more of this. And that would be easy for us to do. Instead, what he writes to them at the end of 2 Corinthians is instead, it's beautiful. 
Now look, we've been reading through this, and like in, in our readings that we've been doing as a church together, we're like covering like eight chapters today. So there's a lot of material here, but I just want to focus in on one verse, the very last verse. Watch what Paul says to them. Instead of saying, look, I wash my hands of you. Instead of saying, look, I'm done with you. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He blesses them. And he offers them something incredibly powerful in what he says to them. Instead of saying, look, you're too messed up for me to mess with, he says, no, I got something beautiful I want to give to you. Here's what I want to look at as we, as we walk through this today, and maybe this will help you. I want to look at three things God has for messed up me. Three things that God has for messed up me. And as, and as I talk to people about this series, and then even about this message, I sense there was kind of this stirring in some people that when they talked about themselves, it was almost like, I just don't know, I'm so messed up, or I'm too messed up. And today I want to show you something here. Three things God has for messed up me. Here's the first one. Number one, let's just call it the grace of Jesus Christ. First thing that I want to show you in this scripture today is the grace of Jesus Christ. We talk about grace a lot, and that word is in scripture a lot. It has the idea of something that is given to us that we did not earn, that we do not deserve. It's not even right that it's given to us, but God chooses to extend that to us. Paul talks about this idea of grace a lot to this church that is messed up. And when we think about grace, and when we see it in 2 Corinthians, there's different ways in which we see it expressed. I know there's at least two. Let, let me show them to you. The first one is this. Paul talks about the grace for salvation. He talks about the grace for salvation. And this is what we usually think about when we think about grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, that's the gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven to earth. He left the riches of heaven and took on the poverty of humanity so that he could die on a cross for our sins. He paid the price for our sins on that cross so that through his giving up his riches, you could become rich in grace and you could know salvation. And Paul says this in probably one of the most beautiful ways in Scripture here in 2 Corinthians. Watch what he says. He says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Who's thankful for the new? <laughs> right? I'm thankful for what God has done for us. And so usually when I think about grace, I think about grace for salvation. The issue with that, though, is it oftentimes causes me to put grace out here somewhere. Like it's a spiritual concept that's kind of out here that I know is out there, and I know it's where salvation comes from, but how do I interact with that? Paul takes grace a whole nother step in this book of 2 Corinthians. He not only talks about the grace for salvation, but here's where I want to land for a minute. He also talks about the grace for weakness. He talks about grace that God has for us in our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, look at what Paul says. He's, he's having an interaction here with Jesus. 
And he says, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Read this last part with me. For when I am, then I am. Man, that's powerful stuff. And Paul says, look, it's in the midst of my weakness that I experience grace from Jesus. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's what you need. When you feel you don't have what it takes, my grace is there for you. In fact, he says, look, there's nothing else you need but my grace. This is key to know. In our weakness, we find all we need in his grace. In our weakness, we find all we need in his grace. And that's important because some of us find ourselves in a place of unique weakness, and we're not sure what to do. Back in April of 2017, so what, about a year and a half ago, there was an expectant father who's a law enforcement officer in Arizona. They live south of Tucson, kind of out in the desert, and they decide to have a gender reveal party. Do you know what these things are? These gender reveal parties, it's like these parties that, that, that a couple might have, and it's kind of like at a midpoint in the pregnancy, and, and you're going to show, is it, you know, you got options, right? It's a boy or a girl. That's kind of how they, they do it. And so, like, it, they decide, and usually they do something with pink color or blue color or some kind of surprise kind of way. So they decide to have a gender reveal party. Well, he, he doctors this thing up, and he makes a target out, and they're out in the desert, right? So he makes this target and puts on the target boy or girl and fills the target with this stuff called Tannerite. Anybody heard of this? Tannerite is this stuff that you use if you're doing like target practice, and if you hit the target with Tannerite in it, it explodes, and then you know you've hit the target, and you feel like a man, right? Does that make sense? <laughs> okay, so they do this. Fills the target with this Tannerite, goes out there, has family and friends out there, takes a high-powered rifle, he shoots the target. When he does, he hits it. Colored powder goes all over the place, and so do flames that begin to ignite the brush around him and spread into the Coronado National Forest. And over the course of the next week, burned down 47,000 acres. This guy, because he's a law enforcement officer, he called the authorities right away, look, this is bad, somebody's gotta do something about this. Been very honest about his mistake and this kind of stuff. And it's just crazy how all of a sudden, what you thought was going one direction ends up literally being out of control. And you see, I can't do anything about this. I am helpless to step in on this thing. This is outside of anything that I can handle. I am weak in this moment. It's a boy, by the way, just in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> he has to pay back $8 million in monthly installments. Think about that mortgage payment. Have you thought about that? It's crazy. Because something that he thought was going to go one way ended up going out of control. Now, maybe you never started a forest fire, but there's places in my life where I've gone, that's not how I saw this going. I didn't see that coming. I thought I had control of this. I thought I could handle that. I didn't know they would respond that way. And in those moments, what do we feel? We feel messed up and we feel weak. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
because my strength is made perfect, Jesus says, in your weakness. True strength is found when the weak look to Jesus. That's where true strength is found. Here's the interesting part, though. I don't like being weak, and I don't like you to think I'm weak. And so in those moments, when I come face to face with my weakness, I try to hide it. I try to deny it. I try to fight it. I certainly don't want to express it. I don't know whether it's part of how we're brought up or sometimes maybe just our, our independence as Americans or what it is, but there's these times where we're like, look, I don't want to express any weakness, and when I try to fight it, I end up losing out. True strength is found when the weak look to Jesus, and when we fight our weakness, we deny ourselves strength. Because it's not until we look to God and say, God, I know I'm weak. That's when he makes us strong. So Paul says to a messed up church that there's grace for them, not just grace to save them, but grace so they'll have strength in the midst of their weakness, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of the challenge they're facing, in that new season of life that you're entering into, whether it be because of promotion or retirement, in that health crisis, at the end of the semester, in your struggling marriage, in that sin that keeps getting the best of you, Paul's words ring true. When I am weak, then I am strong. And I really feel like we need to do something like, like right here and right now. Some of you are about to get excited because usually when, when, when we pray during a message, it means the end of the message, which also means good, I can eat now, right? That's what you're thinking. Okay, but I, this, don't get your hopes up. The message isn't done. <laughs> but I feel like we're supposed to pray right now because for some of you, the whole reason God has you here today is so that you know that in the midst of your weakness, he can come alongside of you and be your strength. So would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And, and whether you're in this room or maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere, if you would say, Jesus, I'm weak I need your grace to make me strong. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Yeah, man, hands all over. Just you're saying, look, that's me right now, my life, this place. Father, we come to you. Lord, you see our hands and you know our hearts. And you know that for some of us, the word we need to hear today is not that we're messed up and not just how weak we are. What we need to be reminded is when we are weak, that's when you're strong. Would you show yourself to be strong in us? Jesus, by your grace, would you strengthen us? Would you give us the strength and the courage and the perseverance that in this moment of weakness, God, we know what that is and you know what that is, that in this moment of weakness, you would make us strong. Father, I pray right now that you let those that, that are looking to you sense your spiritual strength in their life, even in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul looks at a messed up church, and he says, first, I give to you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, he says to them, I give to you the love of God which is probably one of the most basic concepts in all of Scripture, isn't it? I mean, when we read Scripture, that's what so much of it is about. And Paul, Paul talks about God's love a lot in the things that he writes, and he writes about it in 2 Corinthians too. And first, there's this real basic kind of generic way to look at God's love, that God's love comes to us. God has given his love 
to us. This is the whole message of the New Testament. If you think about it, that probably the Apostle John says it the best. First John chapter 4, verse 8, he says, whoever does not love does not know God because, and watch how simple this is, God is love. Like if you have to define what love is, it's, it's God. He, he encompasses that. He is love. He loved us enough that he sent his son Jesus to be sacrificed to die for us. And 2 Corinthians talks about this. But then what Paul does in 2 Corinthians, and remember, he's talking to a messed up church, so that means he's talking to messed up me. He says there's something more you have to do with God's love. You can't just have it out there and go, oh, I'm so glad that it came to us. God's love comes through us, meaning that when we receive God's love, it doesn't just sit here. It works something out in our lives and through our lives. We will be different. Something will change. God will work in some way because of his love that comes through us. Now, now think about this for a moment, and, and I, I want to show you how God's love fits into this, all right? You interact with people, you talk to people. I interact with people. A lot of times people will come and want me to know what's going on in their lives. And there's some common things that when they say, hey, this is messed up in my life, I see the source of how that's kind of happened. A lot of times it has to do with relationships. A lot of times it has to do with interaction with other people. A couple weeks ago, we took time to talk about in detail how conflict can mess us up. And a lot of times it has to do with what someone has been given or what they've been entrusted with and then how they handle those things. A lot of times when people talk about what's messed up in their lives, it has to do with their finances. It has to do with their resource. It has to do with what they've done with their time. And these are areas where very often, and you see it even in this church, where something gets messed up. So Paul writes to them about these things, and what's interesting is when he writes about these very same things that mess them up and mess us up, he talks about God's love in this context. If you're in a place where you say, my relationships are, are broken or my finances are broke, then you might not see it, but God's love plays a critical role here. Look at what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Again, there's only three verses after this. This is right at the very end of Paul's letter. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. He says, look, if the God of love is with you, then you will know peace. Not just that his love has come to you, not just that you go, oh, I know he loves me, but that if you let his love actually affect you, change you, move through you, one of the things that will happen, and he talks about it here, he talks about it repeatedly here, is there will be peace that will come to your life. Look, God's love is revealed through peace. If you want to know if you've allowed God's love to work through you, then you will have peace in your life. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything around you will be peaceful, but that in the midst of it, you will know peace. We're so often quick to blame others for conflict. And many times, it's not your fault. Many times there is somebody who's the stick that stirs the pot or somebody who's done you wrong in some way or another. But we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When there is that place of conflict, remember this, you are responsible for your response. Like it, it's, it's you in the midst of this that decides how you're going to respond and if you're going to have peace in that situation. Do you remember when we talked about how when you're in a moment of conflict to look and, and imagine that Jesus is over that other person's shoulder? Anybody remember that? 
Anybody tried it? It's kind of creepy when you think about it. You're busted in that moment. But it changes our perspective. Now look, I'm not naive enough to think that just a short portion of a sermon on a Sunday is somehow going to immediately resolve the conflict that's been at your family every Christmas since 1992. (laughs) Right? I know that there are these situations that run deep. And I'm not so sure that in just a few moments I can say anything that's going to be so incredible that it brings peace to that situation. But my hope is that you'll allow God's word to bring peace to your life. Because even if there's not resolution to the situation, you can know his peace in you because you've received and responded by his love. Peace reveals that your heart has been changed by God's heart. If you've allowed your heart to be changed by God's, then there's gonna be peace that's gonna happen in your life and in that relationship. Here's why. Because there was something you were holding on to and God's love compelled you to let it go. When we hold on too tightly to something that we shouldn't be holding on to in that way, whether it's a grudge or bitterness or frustration or division, when you hold on to it too tightly, it becomes devastating in your life. Now, why do I say that God's love will compel you to let it go? Here's why. Do you remember John 3.16? Anybody remember John 3.16? Anybody ever seen an end zone in a football game? John 3.16, it's up there. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do you see how the two go together? If there is love, you will be compelled to give. Love expresses itself in generosity. Love is revealed through generosity. So if God's love has impacted your life, then it will change your spirit in some way. And you'll be willing to open up and allow peace and generosity to be at work in your life. Now, we don't have time to do a deep dive on this today, but Paul takes a long time to talk about this subject of generosity. He he does almost all of chapter 8 and chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians. And if you're in a place where you find yourself, um, where you're wrestling with selfishness or stinginess or greed or jealousy, whether that be in your money or in your time or in your relationships with other people, I, I want to encourage you, take some time and read those chapters, 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. Watch what Paul says. Here's just a snapshot. Verse 6, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Look, one of the keys that holds things back in our lives is when we're holding on too tightly to something that God wants us to let go of. When we hold on too tightly to a grudge, we keep from being able to receive peace that God wants to give to us. When we hold on too tightly to those things that God has entrusted to us, our time, our forgiveness, our resources, whatever it is, when we hold on too tightly, then we can't receive what he wants to give to us. Peace and generosity will follow God's love at work in our lives, and that's an incredible thing. Here's the reason why. Because when you're holding on to something that really doesn't belong to you, that really doesn't belong there, it's not until you let it go that something can change. 
There's a guy who lives out in California, and he noticed something was happening to him. So this is probably, he was in his, he was in his early 30s, and he noticed that he developed this, this little bump right here. Anybody else? <laughs> like, thank you, brother, for your honesty. Yeah, he noticed, he knows there was something happening here. So he started, like, changing his diet, and he became like, he said, I was always a big guy, but I, I really thinned down everywhere but here. And so he went to his doctor, and he said, Doc, what's, what's going on here? This is in 2006. Okay, think about this. In 2006, his doctor said, you know, everybody just kind of carries their weight differently, and I think just for you, you're the kind of guy that just kind of goes to your stomach. And so he thought that's the way it was. And as he, he watched what he ate and all that kind of stuff, but he just kept kind of growing and growing and growing. And I saw this picture. He looked like he was about eight months, right? I mean, that was kind of what's going on in him. So just in July, just this year, he, he changed insurance, so he had to change his doctor. And he was sitting in the doctor's office, and his new doctor walked in and immediately looked at him before he said anything else, looked at him and said, how long have you been like that? And he went over, and he like felt his, his abdomen and said, okay, this is not good. Send him for more tests. And here's what they found out. He didn't just carry his weight there. He was carrying a tumor there. And he had this tumor that was growing and developing inside of him. So he went to these specialists, eventually had to have surgery. Here's what they said about the surgery. After a six-hour surgery in July, a, are you ready, 77-pound tumor, <laughs> then they say, roughly the size of a 10-year-old child, <laughs> was safely removed from the back of his abdomen. They asked him, how are you feeling? His, his, his detailed quote, much healthier now. Well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Because for years, you've been carrying around something that was never supposed to be there. He was like, I didn't know why I had heartburn all the time. I didn't know why I was short of breath. I didn't know why. I didn't. It's because inside of you was something that never should have been there, and you weren't going to know release until you let it go. Look, some of you will never know peace. Some of you will never know God's blessing in your life because of what his love wants to do in and through you until you're willing to release some things that you shouldn't be holding on to in the first place. Does that make sense? But you can't do it on your own. This is what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. If you keep holding on to those things, you're just gonna be messed up. How you do it is when you allow God's love to be at work in you. So he says to a messed up church, you know what I can give to you? I can give to you the grace of Jesus Christ because he'll be with you in your weakness. And I can give to you the love of God because when you let God's love work through you and in you, in those moments, you'll be able to release peace and you'll be able to release generosity that will bring incredible joy and presence and power to your life. And then he says this, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and number three is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, fellowship is like an old church word. Anybody? It's like a word. I, I grew up in a church that had a fellowship hall. Anybody else? You had to go to that room to fellowship, apparently. I don't know. But we don't necessarily know what that word means. Listen to how that same verse is translated in the, in the message version of the Bible. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 13. Here's what Paul's giving to them. The amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ the extravagant love of God, and watch this language here, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Many times when we think about the Holy Spirit, I think we think that he's kind of this, woo, 
right? Just kind of out there floating around this ethereal, almost kind of eerie experience of God. We're just kind of not sure what to do. And Paul says, look, when I, when I talk to you about the Holy Spirit, he uses a Greek word. The word is koinonia. That word means participation. That the Holy Spirit doesn't want to just be this woo thing that's out there. He wants to be actively involved in your life. In January, we're going to do a series of messages for a few weeks talking about how the Holy Spirit is actively involved in our lives. I've been stoked about that series for a long time because I really do believe that for some of us, when we get to Acts chapter 19, when we look at this, there, there are spiritual things that we need in our lives that we might not even know it. And, and I really do believe that that series of messages can be transformational for many of us as we talk about the Holy Spirit. But what does Paul say here? He talks about the fellowship, this personal relationship that we need with the Holy Spirit. When we allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, it changes everything. Because we're not just going through life alone. We're walking with him. He's working in our lives. There's this fellowship. There's this friendship. There's this relationship with there. And if you go, what difference can it make? Well, let me tell you how when you are walking in step with the Holy Spirit, it can change the messed up areas of your life. I want to just rapid fire hit a couple things that Paul says in this book that I think are so important. Paul says our fellowship with the Holy Spirit affects our messed up relationships. Our fellowship with the Holy Spirit affects our messed up relationships. And for some of us, if you had to put your finger on the messed up part of your life, it may be in the area of your relationships. At some point when we're walking with the Holy Spirit, watch what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now look, we, we live in the world and we interact in the world but the reality is, I know people who say, I need more light in my life, and all they're bringing in is darkness. Does that make sense? And at some point, you might have to make a tough decision about how you interact with other people. Our relationships determine our direction. And the people that you are around, the people that you invite into your life, the places where you put your energy will have a huge effect on the direction that you go in in your life. Our relationships determine our direction. If that's a place where you're at, read 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let God lead you in there. Let, for the sake of time, let's, let's keep moving. Watch what else he says. Powerful stuff in 2 Corinthians 10. Paul says our fellowship with the Holy Spirit affects our messed up thoughts. Our fellowship with the Holy Spirit affects our messed up thoughts. Listen to Paul's language here, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And look at his language here. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Is that sissy language? <laughs> no, he says we take captive. We grab hold of these things. We do our best to make sure that we are taking care of those things and we don't just let it run wild in our lives. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us with our thinking because so many times I think the reason that we get messed up in life is because our thinking is messed up. Let me encourage you with this. We must think about our thinking and pay attention to where we pay our attention. 
Now, I don't know if that makes sense, but I know that for some of us, we don't think about our thinking. We think without thinking when really we need to think about what we're thinking and think about our thinking. Are you with me? <laughs> we just let our thoughts go in a certain direction without really, without really thinking about where those thoughts are going. And maybe instead I need to take it captive and say, what am I thinking about? And what effect is it having on me? Look, I'm gonna put my attention somewhere and maybe I need to pay attention to what I'm paying attention to because you're paying for that attention, so pay attention to what you're paying attention to, right? You're with me? There's something significant about that. So let's, let's work with Paul here because then he drills down and takes it one more step. He says our fellowship with the Holy Spirit affects our messed up attitudes. See, if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, then at some point, we're letting him walk alongside of us, and he, by his Holy Spirit's work in our lives, kind of nudges us and helps us with our thinking. And what can happen many times is if we're not careful, our thinking becomes critical. When it becomes critical, we become judgmental, and when we become judgmental, we become miserable. Can I get an amen? <laughs> when the only thing you ever see is negative, then that begins to affect who you are. Look at what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. He says, you are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. He says, look, for some of you, you're always judging things just by what you see. You don't think about what's going on. You don't think about what's happening. For some of us, we see the world through glasses we got at eeyore.com. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like everything's negative. Everything's miserable. Everything's all the time. And when you're in that place, it affects you. When all you ever are is judgmental, you can bet that that's going to make a difference. Judgment affects our judgment. And if you're constantly casting negative judgment on other people, it's going to affect the way that you think and the way that you react. And sometimes, folks, it's just life's difficult. A guy got on a flight in the nation of Japan recently. And when he sat down, he had, he had ordered, like he had chosen, he had paid for a window seat. He wanted to be in a window seat. Well, if you've been on a flight recently, you've noticed a lot of the airlines have like shrunk the space between the, the aisles so they could get more rows of seats in. Has anybody noticed this? If you're six foot two, you notice that, right? They've been doing this. And in the process of doing this, what's happened is they've moved some of the seats around. So sometimes you choose a window seat and instead you get a wall seat because you've been moved to a place where you're like between two windows. Does that make sense? So this guy wanted a window seat. He sits down and all there is is a wall there. Packed flight, full flight. Calls the flight attendant over and says, I don't, I don't wanna sit here. I chose a window seat. That's not a window. I don't wanna sit here. And she said, well, sir, I, I, I know you're disappointed. And I'm so, she was great. She's like, I know you're disappointed. I'm really sorry, but there's nothing we can do. This is a full flight. I really can't move it. I'll see what I can do, but I don't think, you know, and she tried... And like throughout the flight, this guy just kept complaining and he was miserable and he was making other people around him miserable. He's kind of making a, a, a fuss about this whole thing. And finally, this flight attendant says, I've had enough. She went to the back of the plane and she got out a piece of paper and on it, she drew clouds and the ocean and she walked up and she taped it next to the wall, on the wall next to it. And she said, there's your window, dude. He fell asleep on the flight. Somebody took a picture of it, put it on Twitter and it went viral. Sometimes we just complain and we're upset and we're frustrated and nothing's ever right. And now this guy's a laughing stock because in the picture you see like the side of his face fast asleep. And you're like, settle down, loser, right? I mean, that's kind of like, you thought that I didn't. I prayed for him, but you thought that. 
you thought that. Look, but if all we ever are is upset and critical and judgmental, man, it makes you miserable. Which then also hits this. One last thing. Our fellowship with the Holy Spirit affects our messed up self-esteem. Look, if you're interacting with the wrong people and you're thinking the wrong thoughts and you're negative all the time, then that begins to affect who you think you are. It's a dangerous thing. Man, if you're walking with the Holy Spirit, if you're allowing him to speak to you, if you're allowing God's truth to be at work in your life, if you're asking God throughout your days and your moments, and we're gonna get to this when we get to January and unpack this a little bit more, it changes your perspective. But watch what Paul says here, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. There's a lot of people on social media commending themselves, isn't there? And I'm not saying that as a negative thing. Where it gets negative is when I see what's happening in somebody else's world and I start to compare my world to their world. That makes sense, right? Here's what Paul says. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. When we spend far too much time on comparison, it makes us miserable. Several years ago, I I was in a place where I was judging so much of my life. The metrics I was judging my life by was comparing with other people. I had a really wise mentor and friend just stop me. Three words he said, changed my life. Comparison is quicksand. When you get stuck in that, man, it'll draw you down and it'll pull you down and it'll mess you up. Paul looked in a messed up church, a church that wasn't messed up once, (laughs) We know he wrote at least three letters. We find out that he made at least three visits. We know by looking at church history that even when you get into the second century, there were still things messed up in this church. And Paul says to the messed up church, he says to messed up me, he says to messed up you, I give to you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your suffering. And I give you the love of God that'll bring you peace and life And I give you the fellowship of the Holy Spirit because in the midst of your messed up thoughts and relationships and comparison and judgment, he can come alongside of you and give you life. Here was my my concern about this message and I watched it as we build up to it. That when some of you interacted with me about these messages and even this one, what I heard you say is not I'm messed up. I heard you say I'm so messed up or I heard you say I'm too messed up. My concern would be that for some of us, we would think we have been so affected by whatever it is in our lives that's messed us up that it's too late or we're too far gone or maybe it limits what God can actually do. So as I was kind of wrapping up my notes last night, I thought, man, I I don't know exactly how to paint the picture of hope at the end of this message because I want you to know that you're not too messed up. It hasn't gone too far for God in your life. Kind of have this practice most nights that I just glance at a news app before I go to bed and just kind of see what's going on in the world. And oftentimes you'll see just kind of something interesting. So last night there was a story that was on the news. And when I read it, I thought, oh, that's just a powerful picture. There was a couple in Times Square. And at some point, and, and I don't know exactly the whole background of the story, he decided to propose to her right there in Times Square. He stopped and pulled out a ring and said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And in the process, I don't know if it was him, I don't know if it was her, but in the process of putting on the ring, someone dropped it. They were standing over a subway grate 
in New York City. That's messed up. <laughs> I don't know who messed up. I don't know if he messed up. I don't know if she messed up. All they know is that ring is gone. And that's messed up. Now, the thing is, I don't, I don't know the whole backstory, but somehow somebody knew that it happened. And they went and looked at surveillance footage that they've got there. And the New York City Police Department went down in the subway and found the ring and cleaned it up. But they don't know who these people are. So they've put out on social media, if you lost a ring when you proposed in Times Square, call us. Because we have it and it's clean. That's a beautiful story, isn't it? So if you propose to someone in Times Square this week, hit me up. I'll give you the number. Right? It's, it's, it's there for you. And I thought about this. And I thought, how many people think that they had something beautiful in their life and they dropped it and now it's gone? When Jesus went to great lengths, in fact, Second Peter tells us he actually went into the depths of the earth to redeem that for us. And something beautiful. Here's the beautiful picture that's in Scripture. You know, you are the bride of Christ. Jesus is our groom. And he wants to have that relationship with us. And you may have think that you dropped it and you lost it. And what he wants to say is that it's not too messed up for you. And that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is there for you in the midst of where you are and the grace he wants to bring to your life. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Here's, here's the beauty of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us just kind of right where we are. So whether you're in this room or you're watching on a screen somewhere, this is a moment right now where God's word might be speaking back into your heart and reminding you that the grace of Jesus Christ is there for you, for salvation in your weakness, and that the love of God is there for you, and that as he works through you, he'll help you to experience that peace and that release in your life. And that the Holy Spirit is in participation, in friendship with you. And so when relationships or thinking or judgment or self-esteem starts to mess you up, you can let him speak words of life to you. And some of you today need to take a step and say, God, what I really need is you in my life. That I need to stop holding on to these things instead let it go and trust in you some of you are here today and you would say what I need is Jesus as my Savior and Lord Savior means that he's the one that gives us his forgiveness and Lord means he's the one that directs and guides our life my question for you is this with heads bowed and eyes closed if you're in this room right now and you would say I know that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord that my hope is in him would you just raise your hand right where you are I think there's a room full of people saying that right now and you can put your hands down. That's awesome. My next question is this. If today you know you need to begin that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that you need him to be your Savior and your Lord, or you know that you need to begin that again, maybe at one point you were right with him, but it seems like you've, you've drifted, there's been a distance, and you'd say today you need to begin or begin again a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what we're going to do. If you raised your hand either one of those times, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that I hope you'll pray after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today 
that you'd be my savior and forgive my sin, that you'd be my Lord and give my life purpose and direction. I give myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you want to know more what it means to be a Christian, hope on your way out you'll grab one of these cards. They're right outside the, the openings to the auditorium. It says, I have decided. Hope you grab one of those. Stop by our Connection Center. We have a Bible we want to give to you. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, thanks for this day. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. As we go from here, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.